0: Thank you, Jenna. I know it's a long passage. Good morning. Happy Mother's Day. Um, just to give you some context um, before uh, we start on the story, Matthew writes this account, and uh, this is one of Jesus' last teaching in the book of Matthew. Uh, before The next chapter is the Last Supper, and uh, two days later, after Jesus teaches this, is the Last Supper. So Jesus knows he's in his last days, and he's teaching something pretty significant um, if he is doing it just before he dies. It's also interesting, Jesus is teaching about the kingdom of God. The chapter 25 is all about the kingdom of God. It's interesting, Jesus starts his... Uh, ministry in chapter 4, His, the first words that come out of Jesus' mouth is repent, which means turn, uh, turn your life around, for the kingdom of God is near. And then he ends with this teaching. It's like almost two bookends for Matthew when he teaches this. It's, I guess for Jesus, there's an urgency for people to understand There is this kingdom of God. Because we get caught up in our life, don't we? Like every day, getting up, doing our thing. If we haven't done something, we are focused on that. And Jesus is trying to say there is a greater reality. The best um, analogy I could think of is, you know, especially on a Mother's Day, a child in, in the mother's womb, all they know and experience is what they see and uh, feel in the mother's womb. That is their reality. But there is a greater reality. The parents could say, you know, there is a blue sky here. There is green grass here. The flowers are colorful. They are beautiful. Uh, When we touch you and tickle you, you're going to laugh. All these things the parents could say. But the baby in the womb cannot experience all that until they come out. And I guess that's the urgency Jesus is trying to get across, saying there is a greater reality, which is a bigger reality, which lasts much longer than your reality. And he's trying to get them into that. And... uh, A couple of things I wanna just explain to you before we go deeper into the story. Uh, The servants are mentioned quite a few times. This this is not a typical servant who's washing the bathrooms and stuff. This servant means it's a bond slave. Uh, They are usually like the managers of the home. If it was nowadays, we would call them managers. Uh, They manage the household. So these are the three managers. Uh, In verse 14, it says he called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He entrusted his money. These resources are the master's resources. It's not the servant's money. Can I suggest to you what you have is not your own, it has been given to you. Your beauty, you may think it's yours, but it was given to you. You didn't have a choice in what color your eyes were gonna be, your hair was gonna be, how tall you were gonna be, because I would have chosen to be much taller. Uh, We didn't have any choice in what your body type was gonna be, what your skin color was gonna be. You had no choices in those matters. It was given to you. You didn't choose your parents. I know some of you wish you could have, but you don't. It was given to you. Neither were your children. You didn't choose them. I didn't create my boys. They were given to me with the personality, with how they are wired. You did not choose the country you were born in. Uh, whether you were born in Malaysia, in in Kuala Lumpur, or whether you were going to be born in Coquitlam in B.C., you had no choice in the matter. Can you imagine what your life would have been like with the whole personality, everything you've got, if you were born in Seiji, Kenya, what your life would have been like versus what your life is right now? Even that is not your choice. It was given to you. Your ability to create wealth, you might think it's mine, you know, I learned, I got my degree. Even that was given to you. The way you are made, the way you are wired, your uh, attention to detail, all that was given to you. Um, Your personality type, your job smarts, your wealth, maybe even your parents had money that they gave it to you to buy a house. All that was a gift given to you. All I have is a gift to me. I didn't earn it. My husband is a gift to me. My sons are a gift to me. My family, it's a gift to me. This church family, it's a gift to me. It was given to me by God. In verse 15, it says, The master uh, gave them five talents, two talent, and one talent to these three servants. Now you might think a talent is a coin, it's not. One talent equals 20 years of wages of a laborer in those days. So I'm an accountant, right? So I calculated with the Canadian currency and the the market rate, it's about 500,000, one talent. So the first manager got 2.5 million, the second manager got 1 million, and the third manager got 500,000. These are not small amounts. Can you imagine if it was given to you? And it says it uh, in verse 15, he divided it in, in proportion to their abilities. This is good news for us. You know why? He didn't give equal portions to everyone because if he did that, he would have to compare yours with yours and your performance with your performance because it's all equal and how you perform is is based on you. But it's not. The gifts were given based on your abilities. So therefore, I don't have to compare myself with anyone. I only have to compare myself with me. Otherwise, can you imagine if God came and asked me, why can't I sing like Lincoln? (laughs) Or why can't I lead worship like Lincoln? You would all run. In fact, my family thinks that uh, I don't even have the gift of singing. I tell them that I do. I sing like an angel. It's just humans can't understand my singing abilities. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, God didn't give me gifts like, you know, great speakers like Tim Keller or Bill Hybels. Therefore, he's not going to ask me to perform like them. I don't have to become a workaholic to uh, walk with Jesus. You become a workaholic trying to keep up with the Joneses, not Jesus, right? All I have to do is what has been given to me. You just have to be you. But that means you need to know who you are. You need to know your gifts, your talents, your weaknesses your strengths, your blind spots. You need to know these things. Um, uh, Somebody says uh, contentment is being happy with what has been given to you. If you compare with others, that's a dangerous thing because it's always good when people have less than you, you feel good, right? But there's always somebody who has more better than you and so therefore God doesn't compare us with anyone he only looks at us and that's great news in verse 16 uh, it says the servant who received the five talent began to invest the money he received you can only invest the money you got you can't invest what you don't have so I can't go and invest 2.5 million when I only have 500,000 If I do, I'm borrowing money, which might be okay in the financial world, but it's not okay in the kingdom of God because you burn out. So anyway, these three managers do their thing, and then the master returns. The 2.5 million manager comes and says, here's my 2.5 million you gave me, and I made 2.5 more, so I have 5 million uh, here you go. And then comes the second manager, and he says, You gave me one million. I made one more million. So here's two million. Did you notice the response of Jesus in verse 21 and 23? It's the exact same words Jesus uses. How come? One guy brings five million. The other guy brings Two million. A uh, few observations. The master's response is, good and faithful servant. That's all God wants from you, is to be good and faithful with what he has given you. The second thing he says is, uh, you were faithful in handling the small amount. Isn't that interesting? Interesting that he would say, you are faithful in handling a small, it wasn't small, it was 20 years wages times five and 20 years wages times two. And there's no difference whether it's five million or two million. What do you think that says about the master? It says that he's a very, very rich man because he doesn't know the difference between five and two. Because all are the same. If you're a trillionaire, you wouldn't care whether you drop $10 or $50. It wouldn't matter to you. Most of us think that's all Jesus said. Good and faithful servant. And all he says is, now come and sit with me. I think that's what we all think Jesus said. But that's not what Jesus says. He says, you were faithful. Therefore, I will give you more responsibilities. Responsibilities. This is the reward. You would think he would say, Okay, now you can have a massage, and you know, I'll send you to the spa, and you're gonna have a good time. No, he says, More responsibilities will be given to you. It's interesting, I think. When Jesus is telling this parable in chapter 25, he's explaining his teaching in chapter 24. He talks about it in Matthew 24, verses 45 to 47. He says, A faithful and sensible servant is the one whom the master can give the responsibility of managing his other household servants and feeding them. If the master returns and finds that the servant has done a good job, there will be a great reward. I tell you the truth. The master will put that servant in charge of all that he owns. So the reward is not, you know, you're going to have now go and sit on the clouds and somebody's going to play the violin and you're just going to eat cream cheese. No, that is not. I know that's what a lot of people think heaven is going to be like. A life is good, a good life is like that. No. He will put you in charge of more things. It's interesting, um, in Psalm 78 verse 20, it says, "God uh, God, uh, God chose David, calling him from the sheep pens. Now, sheep pens were usually looked after by servants. In case of David, because he was the runt, he was the youngest, he got to do the servant's job. And it says God called him from there. It's interesting, eh, that he called him from the sheep pen. And it says, He took David from tending the ewes and the lambs and made him the shepherd of God's own people, Israel. He found David to be faithful with the sheep where no one was looking at David. Only God was looking. It was dark, lonely, lonely life when you're a shepherd. You're with the sheep. And it says God looked at him and chose him to be a king because he was faithful with the little. And why? Why do you think, like, doesn't it feel like, this is unfair, like, I'm faithful and you give me more jobs? You know why? The master says, because you get to enter into the joy of the master. The joy is the ultimate goal. Because you have a father who knows what makes you tick. What brings life out of you? You might think you know who you are, but only he knows the deeper parts of you and what will give you great joy. It's interesting, Dallas Willard, he says, uh, God is the happiest, most joyful being in the universe. I like that. God is the most happiest and joyful being in the universe. And he created us for that joy. That's all he created us from the beginning. That was our whole purpose was. And he is trying to take us back into that joy. That's the goal. Verse 24, then the servant with the one talent came and said, Master, I know you are a harsh man. Harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money. So I hid it in the earth. Look, here is your money. But the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. I thought Jesus was a bit harsh because the man said, I was afraid that I would lose your money. Imagine you gave somebody in the early 70s, your friend or somebody whom you trusted, you gave them 500000 and said, invest it here, in Coquitlam. And you were gone. You were gone for 40 years. And you came back now. And you come and see your friend or your trusted friend and you say, let's have it. And he goes... To his mattresses, and under the mattresses, he pulls out the 500,000 and he brings it to you. How would you feel? You would feel like, man, I gave it to you 40 years ago. If you had bought maybe four or five properties at that time, I could have sold it and made five million now, right? You would feel cheated because now you can't even buy a condo for 500,000 for you to live with. Now can you see Jesus' response? He says, you wicked and lazy servant. Why was Jesus so upset with them? Uh, Again, if you go to Matthew 24, verse 48, it says, but what if the servant was evil? Now look at why Jesus thinks somebody is evil. What if the servant is evil and thinks, this is what he's thinking, the master won't be back for a while, and so he begins beating other servants, partying, and getting drunk. This servant wanted to bury his investments. Why? So that he could carry on the life that he wanted to live. You know, sometimes don't you have savings? You goes directly into the payroll and you forget about it. Because that's what this guy wanted. If he buries it, then your life is in any way not amended or changed. You can just live the life that you want to live. And this uh, servant that Jesus mentioned in, in 24, he was beating, beating the servants. Why was he beating? Because they weren't doing what he wanted them to do. That's why you beat the servants. And uh, he was beating the servants and he was partying and drinking. He was living a self indulgent life. Not caring about others. It was all about him. It's funny, eh, how the fear that I was going to lose the money made this investor live such a small life. That's what fear does to us. If we are fearful... You live a very, very small life. It's all about you. It becomes all about you. Jesus is saying when you live a life like that, in reality, you're living a life that is going to lead you into utter darkness. So what is Jesus saying to us? What does this mean, all this, this story, what does it mean for us? Um, I was thinking whether I could give you a, a very short, quick investment teaching here. I am an accountant. Uh, would you mind sure. um, this is basic principle of investments. You're not going to any, make any money off it, mind you. But anyway, uh, I, I work with uh, uh, my clients, uh, young entrepreneurs who are making millions, mind you, but I am um, not one of them. Uh, I work for them. Investment, basic investment rules. If you have money, let's say you have 500000 you could uh, put it in under your mattress. In Jesus' day, they didn't have mattresses. They buried it in the garden. So you could do that. Or nowadays, you could put it in the bank, um, which is almost like, burying it in the, in the garden right now because you get 0.03% interest. Or you could put it into a term deposit and maybe get 1%. So that would be like this, the green. So it's just over the year, it does not move. It just, just keeps the same rate, right? Or what you could do is you could take a small risk and put it into bonds, and you could get 4% right now in bank bonds or whatever, and it's a bit risky, but there's not really much in risk, and you'd get 4%, so that would be like this. Over a period of time, it's gonna be here. Or, but there, the risk is minimum, and the return is also very minimum. Or you could put it in high return, in stocks or real estate. And that would be like this one. It goes up quite significantly, but it also goes down because there's risk involved. If there's anything risk means, there's a chance it could come down. That's the risk, right? That's the basic investment principle. If you want lots of money, you have to take risk. If you don't want any risk, you're not gonna make any money. That's why we don't make any money. There are entrepreneurs who are making lots of money because they are willing to take the risk. And um, the thing with risks is you have to be okay if it comes down. And, it's, and you have to keep hoping it's going to go up again. In the long haul, it does go up. That's what... You know, if you, are, if you go to your mutual fund investment advisor, that's what they would say. In the long haul, it keeps going up. Jesus is, pretty, he's, Jesus is one of the smartest people to ever live on this earth. You know, even though you think he lived 2,000 years ago, he still is the smartest person to ever live on this earth. The first two investors Jesus talks about, they put their money on high-risk investments. You know how I know that? Because they double their money. If you can double your money nowadays, it has to be on a very high risk investment. What does this mean for us today? I think Jesus is telling you not to put your investments you have in the bank but to put it on high-risk investments. Take high risks. What does that mean? It means whatever has been given to you, whether it would be your gifts, your talents, maybe it's your wealth. For some of you, it's time. Whatever has been given to you, Jesus wants you to take high risks. That's what his calling is. He says, keep your mind on the kingdom of God. And the master is coming back. So whatever has been given to you, take high risks. Now what does that mean? It really feels good when you take risks and it's going up, right? It feels really good. Let's say your, your gift is a uh, gift of hospitality. Or uh, maybe it's the gift of leadership. Maybe you have a gift in decorating. Maybe you have a gift in praying for people. Maybe you have a gift in music. Maybe you have a gift in administration. Whatever your gift is. You say, okay, I'm going to take a risk and I'm going to invest it in high, ret- high return." What it means is it's going to dip. It is going to go south. If there is any risk you take, there is guarantees that it is going to take a dip. It's going to go down. It's going to go south, at least for a short period of time. Now, what does the fall look like or the dip looks like in your life? It may be you decorated whatever was asked of you And people didn't like it. They even came and told you, oh, what was that? Maybe you prayed with somebody and they didn't like the way you prayed. Maybe they didn't like how you prayed. Maybe you took leadership in your family where you felt God asking you to and you did it. And your family didn't respond well. Maybe you lost it. Maybe you lost it with anger. Uh, Maybe you got hurt by someone, what they said or what they did. Maybe you did the small group and people were not very happy with your small group. They were disappointed with your study. Maybe they were disappointed by your message. Maybe the food that you cooked. Maybe the music that you played, it didn't hit all the notes right. Maybe you had a get-together with your neighbors as, you know, you venturing out in your new home, new neighborhood, and it was a flop. You took the risk, and you fell. Maybe you made a mistake. Maybe it was yours, but... Now, what you do in this depth here Those times are very critical because that's what makes the difference between the first investor and the last investor. Because what you want to do when, the, when you fall is to run and hide. That's what you want to do. You want to run and hide. You want to sell out your stocks or whatever. You want to take the money and put it under your mattresses. When the market plummets, like this in the stock market, your investor would tell you, you, don't, you just wait. Don't make emotional decisions at that time and sell out. Just wait. This is the time to wait and evaluate. The same is true in your life. When you take that risk and you fall, you wait. And you evaluate. You don't panic and you say, I'll never do that again. That was, that was terrible. You evaluate. Shame and fear will come flooding into your life at that point in time. What you do is you don't let the shame and fear have the final say in your life. You ask the question, what went wrong? What did I do wrong? Could I have done something better? Maybe you sit in front of the Lord and say, Lord, what happened? Ask the hard questions. Maybe there's repentance involved. Maybe you sinned in that process. Uh, If that's the case, you apologize. You own it. You take ownership of it. You admit your error, your failure, your mistake, whatever it is. Can I ask even more? Would you be vulnerable and step into that uncomfortable place? These places, these these low points, they are the most uncomfortable places you could ever be in. And in those situations, maybe you could ask, help me understand. If it's somebody whom you trust, if you played the music, it didn't go well, you say, Lincoln, what did I do wrong? Or to your friend, what did I do? Help me understand because I am making up stories in my head right now telling me that somehow you don't like me. If you are vulnerable enough to ask, The Lord will open the doors. So what you do in these dark spaces, it matters. Because, you know, can I tell you one thing? That's where the investment grows. Your investment grows when you dip. In the investment market, when the stock goes down, that's when you buy. You know my client who's invested heavily right now in Calgary. I'm like, are you scared right now because Calgary is not doing so well? You know his comment to me was, "He says, Angel, this is the best time to buy in Calgary." So do you see the different market set uh, mindset? I'm like, take the money and run, right? <laughs> but he's like, no, this is the best time to invest in Calgary. The dark spaces is so important in our lives otherwise we don't grow I know we want to grow from victory to victory to victory that's where I like to be but this is where I grow you know the risk takers which Jesus is really asking every one of us to be he's asking us to be risk takers they always have to choose courage over comfort we have to make the choice even though it everything in you says okay dig a hole and let's hide let's not get involved anymore you take the step of courage one of my favorite authors Brené Brown says this the bravest people tend to experience broken hearts because they have the courage to love and experience disappointment. Did you hear that? The bravest people tend to experience broken hearts because they have the courage to love and experience disappointment. The brave learn how to get up by finding ways to lean into each other With vulnerability. I think God wants us to be the brave and the broken hearted. I pray that hillside, in hillside we are trying to create a culture where we are are willing to make new steps. And it is okay to fail. Where we would become the brave and the broken hearted. You know why I love Jesus? He is the brave and the broken hearted. He's the champion of that because he took the greatest step in leaving heaven, his throne, his father. And came down and not just as any man, but a man who is acquainted with grief and sorrows Because of that is why Jesus asks us to take those risks, whether it's your your gifts, your talents, your expertise, uh, your connections, your network, your personality. Uh, For some, you know, your your investment God has given you is relationships. Uh, Maybe it's marriage relationship. Maybe it's your children, family relationship. Maybe it's your friendships that you have. Um, For some, the investment is, you know, your hospitality gifts, your home. Um, By the way, whenever I say hospitality, don't think it's a house that looks like a designer home. Hospitality means making room. I wrote this down here somewhere. Um, Willingness to make space in your life and home for others. It's your willingness to make space. It's not a clean home. It's your willingness to make space in your home and your life for others. Maybe your investment is time. Uh, In different seasons of life, if you are a young parent right now, uh, that is not your investment right now, I can tell you that. Uh, But if you are retired or if you are a young adult with no children, that's an investment God has given you. Uh, You have time. And take risks with that. Take risks with that. You know, can I challenge the retired people in our church here? The world tells you, man, you are retired now. You've done your job. You've done your duty for your family, for your uh, friends, for the society. Now this is your time. You need to... uh, Eat, drink and be merry and go and travel and see the world. That's what the North American culture tells the retired people. But that's not what Jesus tells. Jesus says, invest what I've given you, the time and your talents in this broken world. Don't get into the vortex, this this world vortex of self-indulgence. It's like... It's all The only thing I could think of is, is like a marathon runner running. And just the last half a mile, he goes into a pub and has a drink and decides, okay, I need to have some fries. I need to enjoy a bit of... Uh, that's what if you do, if you're an, uh, a retired person, decide to take a, take a uh, self-indulgent break there. So take risks. Whatever God has given you. Sometimes the investments in your life changes with your season. Whatever is given to you right now, take risks. I think it's interesting. the last investor, um, he says, "I was afraid." You know, the Bible says a lot about fear not. But I also think God knows we are made from dust. Then why so many times if he knows we are fearful people because Dervin said we are like sheep. Sheep get startled and fearful very quickly. If we are so fearful, why say fear not? I think what Jesus is saying, fear not, is don't make decision based on your fear. Don't let fear speak over you in whatever you choose. I think that's what happened to the investor because that's why he buried the investment. That's why Judas betrayed Jesus, because he was afraid. That's why the other disciples stayed in the boat, because of fear. That's why Gideon was in the basement. That's why you and I sit and do nothing. So what do you do with the fear? I can honestly say I am a... fear very quickly, especially uh, regarding things that matter about my children, about our family, about my work and stuff. I could get very fearful if I can't meet the deadlines. Um, What do I do with my fears? This is not an expert advice, but this is my advice. What I do is I sit with my fears with the Lord. In my quiet solitude moments, I sit with my fears. I sometimes even I write them down, like Hezekiah, he sat before the Lord when the enemy came and said, "We are going to take over the country, uh, the Assyrians." He said, He took the letter and went before the Lord and sat there with the letter. That's what I do. I just go and sit. and I wait. and I wait. I wait. In silence, it's in Psalmist says, my soul waits for you and you alone. Oh, God, from you alone comes my salvation. I, want, I wait for him to save me from my fears. And then I get the perspective. I am just a little girl who has a big father. And that's all I need to know, that I don't have life under control. You know it's interesting uh, God comes to Joshua and says uh, in Joshua 1 be strong and courageous do not be afraid do not be discouraged for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go He says three times in that very in that one chapter very short passage I think he God did that rightfully so because Joshua was shaking in his boots because Moses the biggest leader the best leader has just died and there was tons of enemies before Joshua and he was supposed to take the promised land. God says to him, keep your eye on me, on my word. And don't make decisions based on fear. If you do, you're not going to conquer the promised land. If you are the fearful type and you have the investment of 500000 Take 50000 and take it for a spin. Take risk with it. Take a small risk with the gift, the things God has given you, with your relationship, with the marriage that he has given you. Whatever the investment God has given you right now, take it for a spin and see how God provides you with courage. I was, as I was uh, writing this down, um, the Lord brought to my mind in 1994, uh, we were, David and I were fairly newly married, a year and a half or so, and the Lord, uh, I sensed the Lord nudging me to start a Bible study group with young mothers. And uh, it took me a while, and I said, okay, let me do it. I'd never done a Bible study before. And I was, Shaking in my boots. Who's gonna come, no one will come. Anyway, I started it. The hardest part of it was, I wasn't even a mother. Here I am going to lead a ladies morning young mothers group where I didn't even have a mother's experience. The worst part of it was, I was trying to conceive I was trying to have a baby, and I tried for three and a half years while I led this Bible study group. Every month I would find out there's somebody new is getting pregnant, and not me. And every month, the first two weeks, I would be with great hope and faith. I would, this is the month I'm going to get pregnant. And the last two months, I would feel like such a loser and I'd go, God, what am I doing here? Why am I doing this? Why did you ask me to do it? And here I am, it's a constant reminder that I can't make it as a mother. But you know, after three and a half years, I did conceive and I had Caleb. I would say I led that group out of weakness. It's not out of strength because I didn't have the experience nor the wits or the, all the experience requirements. I went because I felt the Lord nudging me to take the risk. It was like Moses learning leadership gifts in the desert where you don't have much but you know God is with you. But I can tell you, I learned about motherhood in that group. I learned about being a wife in that group. I learned about being a sister in Christ in that group. I learned how these women loved me and embraced me. I learned about deep community in that group. It's interesting, that's where the first time uh, the women there saw in me the gift and they said, Angel, maybe you should teach. You have the gift. Now I look back and I think those were my Bible college years where I learned to love the scripture because I didn't have anything. For some of you, God may be asking you to take a small step. Maybe you have sensed this nudge for a long time and you've been avoiding it. You've been trying to buck it. Maybe you have buried it. Maybe it's a huge step. You are scared to take that step. you do anything to hide from it. Maybe for some of you, you have to take that first step of trusting Jesus. Saying, Lord, I've done my life and it has never worked out for me so far. It seems like I'm living this self-indulgent life that is leading to self-destruction. What I can tell you is that he knows you. He knows what makes you come alive. He knows how to give you joy that would overflow because he created you. Jesus said, I have told you this so that your joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. I'm going to ask Lincoln to come and the worship team to come in. Father, I thank you, Lord, uh, that you are God, that you are in the midst of us. Father, I thank you, Lord, that you are a good, good Father. Father, some of us are scared. Father, we have tried to control our lives and it hasn't gotten taken us anywhere. So now, Lord, we put our life in your hands. Father, thank you, Lord, for investing in us. Father, that you think so much of us, that you would invest. Father, help us to take risks with what you have given. (coughs) Father, some of us want to confess we are scared. We are afraid. Father, help us to make the courageous step today.